0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eagle Naz. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus, and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. We're jumping into this greater series, and of course the idea is that if we served a small God, it would be difficult to live a great life. But we serve a great God who gives us abundant life. And the, the more we understand who he is, the more we want to follow him. And the, the sense of his greatness gives us the ability to live into the abundant life that he's called us to. Any, can I get an amen this morning? That, that's an incredible truth. And Dr. Einstein was here from NNU last week to talk. And if you missed that message, I just want to ask you to go back to our podcast and listen it will be an incredible blessing for you, and it'll, it will set the whole tone of the series and help to understand what the writer to the Hebrews was talking about how, how God is greater in so many dimensions that we'll get to unpack and discover throughout this series. Uh, today, we get to, to learn uh, that if we're going to embrace the greater life, it's going to mean deciding not to drift. Did you catch that? Drifting is a decision. It's a decision to do nothing is what it really is. Doing nothing is the something we decided not to do. And so uh, let me say that again, embracing the greater life is deciding not to... Okay, like the first service had an excuse for doing that. (laughs) Deciding what? Deciding not to... So important that we get that understanding... um, That's why I thought about the illustration I did. James Honeycutt decided July 9th, 1960, that was just shy of 60 years ago, he decided to take his neighbor kids down the Niagara River. They were just gonna drift along and and putt with his 12-foot skiff and his Rude seven-horse motor. Uh, Deanna, 17, it was near her birthday, so they were celebrating her birthday and her little brother was seven years old. They had life jackets and uh, James Honeycutt's wife was pretty concerned about it. And he said, oh honey, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. And so they, they, they put in upstream a long distance from the falls. Witnesses saw him. They don't know why he turned off the power supply. But for some reason he did. Maybe they couldn't hear each other talk. Maybe they wanted to talk about Deanna's birthday, or maybe he wanted to hear the birds chirping on the side. Maybe he didn't have any gas in the tank, and he forgot, and he was saving it. We don't know. But witnesses saw him come past the sign that says, danger, point of no return. He had actually drifted into the area where somehow he, he must have thought he could still make it. He, they saw him turn on the switch to his motor and start the, the engine to his, his Evinrude, and it was no match. He was still moving at 40 miles per hour in his 12-foot boat, even with the power of his motor. And so he tried to steer off to Goat Island. I've never been to Niagara Falls. Those of you who have been, maybe you can uh, picture it in your mind, but he, he didn't make it all the way. He hit a rock and capsized the boat. Deanna and Roger were spun off to the side, Deanna started swimming like crazy, and a a man on the side saw her and started yelling, honey, swim for your life. And he meant it. And the guy had such presence of mind that he climbed over the railing that protected him, and he grabbed his toes onto the railing that existed at the time. Can you imagine? And he reached down and grabbed onto her life vest just before she passed. Oh my goodness. Roger was the only human at the time who'd gone over Niagara Falls and survived with just a life vest. All they can figure is that his 46 pounds just kinda bounced on the surface because the life vest protected him and he survived. James Honeycutt didn't heed what he needed to know which is drifting is dangerous and he was found down shore, downstream, deceased. I I tell you that illustration because it's exactly what the writer to the Hebrews is going to talk to us about today, which is the danger of spiritual drift. We're going to learn five things that contribute to spiritual drift in our life. That's a lot of things. But we're going to learn about six cures to drift in our life. Aren't you glad that the cures are more than the problem? Anybody with me? And so we get to... Examine those. We get a look at them. the The scripture that where the writer to the Hebrews talks about this is in uh, chapter two, verse two or verse one, rather. He says, "Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it." When you see the word "therefore" in any passage of scripture, you ask what it's there for, and so. Uh, why was it there? Well, he's told us why. The, this this letter to the Hebrews is just to a, a group of people. They're called Hebrews because they are Jewish converts to Christianity. So they understand the Hebrew story, the Hebrew language, the the Old Testament. If you were to take your Bible and just uh, divide it in half, you'd get most of it would be Old Testament that the Hebrews understood, and New Testament would be the 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 Greek language that the the new believers would understand with Aramaic and with Greek. And so the the Hebrews, they were being tempted to get out and give up and go away, go back to their old faith. And he's reminding them, don't let yourself drift. Don't go there. And here's why I want to say that. This is the therefore, what it's there for. So we get to stand on our feet. You thought you got out of it, didn't you? Here we go. Hebrews chapter 1, the start of the letter, he says, long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, the one who gets everything the father has. Through whom he also, get this, created the world. Is that not amazing? So he has everything that the Father has, and he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, or some versions say by the power of his word. You may be seated. Okay, get this. You're thinking about giving up and getting out and and. and and, and not wanting to continue your faith is difficult times. Ever been in a really difficult time in your life? They were going through that really difficult time, and he says, you don't want to give up. He said, God has revealed himself. He revealed himself through angels who gave the tablets on the mountain. He's revealed himself through Moses, the great prophet. They understood all that. They were Hebrews. They knew about the story of God. And he said, but listen. Jesus himself has come along. Jesus, you understand who he is. He's a breather out of his words and by his word, the universes that we see and don't see, he has created them. Uh, You need to go listen to Dr. Einstein's message. Amazing. I get this deer in the headlight thing. Folks, the creator of the universe, the all powerful one, all the universe. Jesus is the creator with God, the Father, the architect, creator, the son, the, the carpenter, the son. Okay, like I don't know, did you guys not get enough sleep or something? <laughs> creator God, He's the, and he is the exact imprint, stamp, impression of the Father. You wanna know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You wanna know the Father who loves us? Look at Jesus. You want to understand how God acts toward us. Look how Jesus acts toward us. You want to know what God is willing to do for us. Look at Jesus. You want to think about one who would be willing to give anything and did. Look at Jesus. You want to think about one who came down in human flesh and died a terrible death for us. Look at Jesus. You want to think about one who forgave our sins and rose from the grave and conquered death and defeated the evil one. Look at Jesus. We don't give up or get out when the going gets tough, why? Because Jesus is our example, therefore, don't drift. If we were to look at a formula of of what that looks like, I think, you know, we all want significance and safety and security. And, And these people were going through such hard times, they just wanted to go back to something simple, what they used to believe, nobody would harass them. By the way, we heard about baptism. Uh, I hope that if you've never been baptized, you'll get baptized. The people in this day, uh, they were used to calling Jesus the savior of the world, the son of God. In fact, they would do sacraments. They would take what was called the blood and the the bread and, and the body and they would take those and they would give a sacred oath to their fellowship and they're willing to give their very lives to follow this Son of God and Savior of the world. But in that day, it had a much different context. The Romans called the Caesars, the Caesars, not the seizures, the Caesars, the Savior of the world and the Son of God. They had a, a sacramental system where they would take an oath in blood, and they would say, we will follow you to our death if necessary. And they didn't hold kindly to any group of people who had any allegiance to anything except for Caesar. So when early Christians came to the baptismal pools, many of them would be baptized in the pagan pools that were used for Rome. And they would be dipped down into the water, submitting themselves to the Christian walk. And they would lay themselves down asking God to wash them clean and forgive them, but they were doing so much more. They were making a declaration of their sovereign God, their Savior, their divine one, the creator of the world. And when they came up, they would put a new robe on them, a new identity, a new uniform, and many of them would be marched directly by authorities out to the arena where they would be slain. Their families had their possessions impounded, they were placed in prison, and they were They were giving all for Jesus. And so it looked like their security, their safety, and their significance, it looked to the world like it was being taken away. But the truth is, they were identified with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Almighty God, the imprint of the Father himself. And so they were finding their significance even when the world thought that they were losing it. So you who have never been baptized because you're you're thinking I'm not good enough, can I just say you aren't good enough, but he is. And when we get baptized, we make a statement. We say, God, you are the savior of the world. You are the king of my heart, and I am giving my allegiance to you and my identity. I'm dying to the old me and living to the you, to the new you. And when we lift up ourselves at the testimony, I'll go with you no matter where you call me to go. So if you haven't been baptized April 5th, I don't care if you're 90 years old, I encourage you, we'll, we'll sprinkle baptized if we need to but it pays to identify with Jesus, amen? Amen. Okay, that's the end of that advertisement. That was for free. (laughs) So this thing about drift that is so dangerous, uh, if we were to look at a formula, that would be like not paying attention and going with the flow. Flow is something that we think about as just happening to us. The currents of our culture take us with their philosophies. And it takes no effort at all to follow those. But doing nothing is just a decision to not do something. And so when we neglect, it's really equal to spiritual neglect, which is equal to drifting. You with me? So we're going to learn today five ways that we can get caught up in spiritual drifting. Uh, Drifting, the first of all, is difficulty. Difficulty. It's what we just talked about in cultural context is these people were going through really, really hard times. And they just thought if they went back to Judaism, the Jewish people kind of had an agreement politically. And if they just aligned with the right political party, there was you don't bother us, we won't bother you. And they could just live that life. Can I tell you that we are not adherents to certain political parties over the, our followership of Jesus Christ? I didn't get a single amen, oh, I did, right here, God bless you, sister, right? That that our allegiance is to Jesus Christ, and they didn't go the easy way, they went the way God called them to, and they stood for what was right, because it was right, regardless of the cost. God raised up an entire generation of Christians from Eagle Naz who stand up for what is right, because it is right. Uh, So they, they were going through difficulty, Timothy, it actually writes about him in Hebrews, and and it says, hey, it's great that you've gotten out of prison. Uh, The stuff that they were going through made the coronavirus look like sniffles. You know, we hear about those deaths, and I don't want to diminish those and what's going on, but I'm telling you folks, we don't have any clue the security that we live within, what we have compared to what they have. And so, That tendency to drift, it happened because things were so difficult. They just wanted to stop the trouble that was going on in their lives. So difficulty, there were distractions that were going on. There were all kinds of things taking their time and attention. They had to do so much just to eke out a living. Uh, I think that we have it worse than they did. Uh, I I think that our distractions are much greater than theirs. Uh, Anybody got one of these? How many of you have one of these? Anybody? Oh, like 20 of you? Yeah. The rest of you, I'm sorry. No, um, I looked at my screen the other day and, and it had to be an error. It said I spent three hours on screen time. That's not possible, is it? I was just sure it was wrong, but it wasn't. These things gobble us up. The the screen time and and good things, and good things become the enemy of great things. And can I just tell you that I believe with all my heart that one of the the targets that the enemy uses to hurt us spiritually is distractions. Not not just terrible things, but good things that get in the way of the greater thing. Anybody follow me with that? Jesus was talking about this topic one day, and he was talking about... We who follow him, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a a man who found a pearl of great price, great worth, and he went and he sold everything else and went and paid for it, and he was glad when he did. Why? Because we can't have good and great at the same time in the same measure, but we can't have great without good, and great is greater than good. Don't ask me to re-say that. And so the the issue is that God may call you and I in some areas of our lives to cut out some good things that the culture says are normative and expectant and that they're supposed to just be the way we live and that we're entitled to those. But if good gets in the way of great, it is the enemy of great. And the greatest thing is following Jesus with all of our heart. And so distractions get in our way. By the way, if, if you feel guilty when, I, when I'm talking about these, it's not my fault. <laughs> no, what I really wanted to say there is if, if you feel a nudge of the Holy Spirit as I'm talking about these, just write them down on your paper and just put a star by them. And then say to God later, what would you like me to alleviate from my life, from my schedule? What would you like me to change? God, I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do. Uh, The the third thing is doubting the the goodness of God, and we find that in later verses, uh, where in verses two through four, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared... At first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. It's this, he says, hey, I, let's understand. You guys are wanting to abandon your faith and move away from the things of God and go to the easier life. He said, listen, how, why would we doubt God's goodness? Why would we do that? He said, Jesus himself came in the flesh, God the almighty the creator of the world came down in the flesh and he died for us and he rose again and he showed us the way and he breathed out his spirit on us and he gives us gifts so that we can be fulfilled and and you doubt his goodness he said let's not doubt God's goodness let's stay in the game let's remember that God is always for us and as Paul would say if God is for us who could possibly be against us so uh, doubting God's goodness in our lives creates a distraction. And then in uh, that first verse I read about it, he says, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, therefore we must pay clo- much closer attention that we do not, uh, lest we drift. The first thing he's going to go into after that discussion is about disobedience. And he says, let's not disobey God. That word is really interesting. Anybody ever disobey God? Their preacher is the first one. I've done, okay? Like if you don't ever disobey God, could I meet you in the foyer? I want to know how. Because we do that. We mess up. We fall. We make bad choices. That's, that's part of who we are. But this word is interesting. It means a, when, when God reveals his will, this word disobedience is a continual lack of response to his request for obedience. A continual lack of response at God's request for obedience. A continual lack of response to God's request for obedience. If God's talked to you over and over, he's talked to me and we just keep saying no, no, no. I, I can't tell you the people that I've talked to over my ministry to career, career and even in the last few weeks where I've said, look, get out of that relationship. You're getting close to the edge, you're getting close to the point of return. No, it's okay, I'll come back, it'll be all right ah, uh, why do we get as close to the edge as we can? How about we step over to this side? Anybody with me? I had a guy tell me, I'm gonna come back to Jesus when I'm 75. No, you won't. Because you wanna do what you wanna do when you wanna do it. And if you wanna follow him, you'll follow him at 45 or 55 or 75. And the lie is that we just, we just go along with disobedience Maybe God is pointing to somebody's heart today and say, listen, don't harden your heart like the people did that heard the message the first time. They heard when Moses brought the law and they didn't like it and so they went and created a God out of their own image and they made that God into the shape of a golden calf and they worshiped metal. Why? Because they didn't have metal inside that was worth any, no, that's a bad joke, sorry, anyway. They didn't want to follow God. They wanted to go their own way, so they disobeyed. And so here's the point. If you're disobeying God in some area of your life and he's talking to you, the writer says, don't let calluses get over that, that heart of yours. Like if you ever play the guitar, you'd notice your fingers hurt at first, but then you just get used to it, and pretty soon it becomes normative, and you don't even know that it's there, and it doesn't hurt anymore. And that's what happens spiritually is that God talks to us and he talks to us and he talks to us and he says, stop that, stop that habit, stop that activity, get out of that situation and we just stop hearing and it's over the cliff you go, drifting. And all it takes is a simple prayer of confession to say, Jesus, would you, would you take that away? Would you help me? Would you rescue me in this area? I said to a guy this last week, another individual, I have a lot of conversations be, uh, un, under the underbelly of the church that nobody knows about. And I said, if you just ask God to come and rescue you and you tell him that you can't do this, he will come and he will take you and he will rescue you from your situation. And I made this statement to, to him, God is fully responsible to you. And, and I wanna say it again, God is fully responsible for the consequences of our obedience, And we are fully responsible for the consequences of our disobedience. I had a friend who was pastoring a church for 25 years, dear friend, very large church, and God, the Holy Spirit, just whispered to him and said, I want you to resign. And he resigned, like right then. I was going, like, what? What did you just do? And he he said this to me. He said, God is fully responsible. For the consequences of my obedience to him, why would I possibly fear? He said, I'd like to have somebody pay my health insurance. How many things do we carry in our lives, the weights on our shoulder, that we could lay at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the Savior, and say, God, you are fully responsible for the consequences of my obedience to you. Therefore, I will follow you in obedience. Not allowing ourselves to drift continually in the areas of disobedience. Uh, then the, the next area is simply doing nothing. Uh, it's neglect. Doing the something that we call drift. Just deciding not to do something about what God has called us to do. It's so easy to do, to do nothing, isn't it? I know that doing nothing is doing something because I do it all the time when I sit in front of the TV and want to eat chips. You know what I'm saying? That's what it looks like. Is just doing nothing. Drifting is nothing more or less than spiritual neglect. And embracing the greater life means deciding not to drift. So six remedies. Aren't you glad? Oh man, I'm glad we got done with that part. That was depressing. Anybody with me? Okay. Six areas that six remedies to spiritual drift in our lives. The first is fix our eyes on Jesus. the The writer to the Apostle Paul said. Fix fix your eyes on Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Isn't that wonderful? Fix our eyes on him. In in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, he said, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, meaning Jesus came down and he lived like us. He, He took on a body just like us. He himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death were subject to a to lifelong slavery. That is so awesome. He says, "Listen, uh, fix your eyes on Jesus. He came down in the flesh. He lived th- the same life that we have lived. He understands what we go through." And then he adds, "And he defeated the devil." Oh, people, come on. He defeated the devil. He defeated the evil one. He broke the back of the enemy. He crushed the head of the vile tempter of our souls. He is defeating and has defeated the evil one. We live as victorious followers of of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has defeated the devil, and he has taken away the fear of death. What do you think their greatest fear was? Their fear was that they would be hauled off by Rome, that wives and husbands would be separated from their dear children, that their their provisions would be impounded. And he said, let's not forget who we follow. We follow the one who has defeated evil. And he has taken away the fear of death. Bob Graves was amazing. He kept saying, Pastor, when do I get to go home? He was so mad at God for taking Vivian first eleven years ago, like she had all kind of, he she was healthy and he had all kinds of hard stuff, and he was so mad at God. God should have taken me. It wasn't fair. But now, as he got closer and closer, he's going, "Why do I have to wait one more day? I want to go home. I can't wait." And the fear of death was completely gone. Completely gone. Why? Because he, his eyes were focused on Jesus the author and perfecter of his faith, and he lived long with Jesus. He was a man of prayer. One time he came to me and he said, Pastor, I got this old car. It's an antique and I don't need it anymore. It's just taking up space in my garage. Now guys, let me ask you something. What antique car is ever just taking up space in your garage? And he just said, I love nothing more in this church and the kingdom of God and the work of Jesus, and I just want to give it away so the kingdom will grow. He fixed his eyes on Jesus. The next is to fix our thoughts on Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 1 of Hebrews, it says, Consider him. Think about him. Think about who Jesus is. When you get down, and we will get down. When we face hardship, we will face hardship. When you go against obstacles, you will go against obstacles. If, if you haven't yet, you will. That's the good news. And he says, consider Jesus, who endured the cross and who endured all these things, and, and think about him and who he is, and it'll lift you out of this desire to drift. Uh, the next area that, that he talks to us, not only fix our eyes on Jesus and focus our thoughts on Jesus, the next is to seek forgiveness. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1 says, it teaches us that our, our hearts are deceitful and sin is deceitful and that we, we have this gravitational pull where, where the enemy says, if you follow God, you're really gonna miss out. Now, what did, what did I just teach earlier? God is fully responsible for the consequences of my obedience and I am responsible for the consequences of my disobedience. If I give some area to Jesus and he fills it up, and I gave him myself, and he fills it up, and I give him myself, and he fills it up, and I give him myself, and he fills it up, if every area that I give him, he fills up, who's the winner? Yeah. You. Praise God. I am the benefactor of obeying Jesus, and so when I ask forgiveness, and I, I repent of some area, and I ask God to take that area of my life, and he fills it up, Satan says, that if you follow God, you will lose. And he tells us that God is a thief, but what Jesus said is Satan is a a thief who came to steal and kill and destroy. And the greater life is the life not drifting, it's the life following Jesus in a focused way. And so he he tells us that that we can have a remedy for disobedience, we simply ask forgiveness. How many things do we miss out on life because of our, our pride or our sense that we'll lose out and all we have to do is say, God, I'm sorry, would you forgive me for that? And he'll, in our marriage, in our relationships, in, our, in our, our workplace, how much could be accomplished if we would uh, lower our, our level of pride and just say, Jesus, I'm sorry, would you forgive me for that? I want you to make it new. And he will take responsibility for the outcomes of the, the results of that situation. So forgiveness is a remedy. And then uh, another one is to practice fellowship. Can I, can I congratulate you today for obeying Scripture? Hebrews chapter 10, yes, you can, yes. No, I really mean it. You are practicing what Scripture says today. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, the the writer says, do not forsake the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Why? Because he says, I want you to encourage or exhort, excuse me, those every day who are in fellowship with you. That's a a connected life. And he says, don't forsake the gathering together. Why? Because the enemy knows that there's incredible power when we come together and we worship and we pray and we talk to each other and we do life groups. Can I just tell you, we were never meant to do life alone. Are are you in a life group? Good. (laughs) If you're not in a life group, I want you to know life groups are the lifeblood of the church and when we go through brokenness and difficulty and hurt and sinfulness in our lives we need a life group that is the lifeblood to, to, we need those people to come along and give us wisdom and to talk to us and love us and care for us and if you're not in a life group would you just hound Pastor Ed with your email today thank you Pastor Ed for letting me do that and would you just say, hey, I'm not in a life group. And would you, if you have uh, some, some ability to, to breathe and eat and walk and read scripture, would you volunteer to lead one? And say, you know what? I just I want to be available in whatever way that you have for me, Lord. I want to be in fellowship with other believers. It is absolutely essential to these people who were having their houses impounded and they were being put in prison. And they do, they were be, being fed to the lions. They were being cut in half by swords. What does the writer say? He says, "Don't forsake the gathering together." God bless you for being here on a day when it would have been so easy to sleep in bed. And just to drift on your pillow back to sleep. But no, you said, this is a priority to me. The next thing is to embrace the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news. Jesus said, I'm going back to the Father. And his his disciples says, oh, bummer. And he said, no, it's not. It's not a bummer. He said, if I go away, I prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, the comforter can come. And and he says he will be the the comfort to you. He will be a a counselor to you. 24-hour counselor. Think of the money you'll save. (laughs) 24 hours a day. A counselor and a comforter and a convincer and convictor of sin. Why is that wonderful? Oh, man, i got to have him inside. How would you like to live a life never knowing whether the path was right or wrong or good or bad? Isn't it wonderful that we have a counselor, a comforter, and a convincer and convictor of sin when we get close to the edge? He says, hey, step back a couple steps. Turn on the power supply. And then that comforter also fills us up and he gives us gifts and he calls us out to use our gifts so that we feel fulfilled and we gain significant and security and safety by the infilling power of the spirit who works within us in a wonderful and powerful and dynamic way to live life not alone. Yeah. Uh, the last one of those things that help us not to drift is simply to hold fast. He says it in chapter 3 verse 6. Uh, he says, uh, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope that, the, the remember he's talking to people that were talking about being the house of God. It was the people of Israel, these were people who in a community followed God and, and they called themselves the house of God and they were the lineage of God and so he builds a picture and he says, it's not just your house or my house, it's all of us together and it's this beautiful community and we are the, the house of, of God and your, your light turns on in your house and the next one in the next and pretty soon it lights up a valley and a state and a nation and all together we're the house of God. And, and he says, so hold fast. And some of you know that when, when you go through hard times, it's not, it's not a matter of sin and it's not a matter of disobedience and it, it's, all you can do is it's gotten so hard and so difficult that the cancer rages on and you, and you don't know what to do and all you can do is hold on. Or you've been fighting a, an addiction and you've been faithful and strong and you're working at it and all you can do is hold on. And your spouse has left you and you've done everything you can and it's all that you can do to hold on. And it, your finances have dwindled and you've tried to be faithful and you've given to God and you've done everything you can and it's all that you can do to hold on. And the, the writer to the Hebrews knew that these were incredibly godly and good people and they'd followed God with all their heart and all their mind and all their soul. And they were still being taken to prison and they were still being marched off to death and they were being, having their, their, their goods impounded. And he says, to you, I want to say, simply hang on, hold on to Jesus. Amen. Maybe you're going through that today. And I just want to encourage you, hang on and keep hanging on. In that first verse I, I read to you that uh, said, therefore... The, the wording was very interesting. Uh, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've learned and heard lest we drift. I, there are some times where I'm absolutely sure that the Holy Spirit just knocks on my my mind and my heart and says, go back and look again, and I, I'll say, I don't know what you're trying to point out. And this verse was one of those where I went back multiple times and I finally went to the original language, and, and that that verse pay much closer attention to means to go back into the safe harbor of. Instead of drifting, it means to tether ourselves to the harbor, to tether ourselves to Jesus Christ, to go back, and and that that word means to come into, to get close to, to pay attention to, to get back to where we belong. And scholars tell us that the 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 because of the juxtaposition of the the words about drifting, it's a clear call. Come back to the harbor. And today there might be somebody in here, I'm going to pray for you in a moment, who you might just say, you know what, I, I don't know Jesus. I've just been drifting along, I don't have any idea. And today you would say, Jesus, I want to know you. And what, like I said to a guy recently, you just say, I've made a mess out of my life, Jesus, and I don't have a clue what to do, but you do. And I'm going to be obedient to you, and now you're responsible for me. Isn't that fun? And if you just say, Jesus, I give you everything bad about me, and I accept everything good about you, that's it. That's it. That's a great exchange. And if you would like to do that in your heart quietly, that's great. If you want a prayer team member to pray for you, just go over to the prayer room, and somebody will just pray you through that process if you're confused. We don't believe anybody should have to pray alone when they don't want to. You might be going through a difficult time where you've been disobeying God and he's been talking to you. And while I pray, you might just want to say, God, I'm sorry, I've been, you've been talking to me about it and talking to me about it and talking to me about it and I've gotten close to the edge and I didn't even know it. And I'm gonna step back from the edge and I'm gonna obey you, God. And I'm gonna give my life fully surrendered to you in that area that I've been denying. And this day, your word put a, put a hand on that issue, and I'm going to obey you. It might be today that you've just been going through doubting that God was good, and you'd say, oh God, I'm sorry. It's just been hard lately. It's been difficult, and my eyes have been down, and God, I I want to just give a sense today to you today that you're amazing, that you are the breather of the word of life. You are the creator of of creation, You are the great and mighty God. I lift my eyes to you and thank you for being the lifter of my head today. And somebody today might say, you know what, I want to be obedient to be allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and take an area of my life that I've just been holding back. And God, I want you to come in. I want you to take that area. I want you to be the, the king of my heart today. Not just the savior of my soul, but the, the leader of my life. And those are different. Don't you know we can hobble along for a long time without fully submitting our life to Jesus Christ in multiple areas. And then to that one today who's just holding on, tethered to the harbor, holding on for dear life. We're at the governor's prayer breakfast, the state of Idaho prayer breakfast yesterday. And there was a mountain climber who said when, when, uh, when the winds reached 70 miles per hour, he would just hunker down. It's a good posture to take, isn't it? And then he'd stand up when it was time to take another step. And he felt God led him out of that traumatic situation. Some of you, the best thing that you could do is just keep on, keep it on, hanging on to God. Let's pray, and then we're gonna sing a couple of songs. The first one is meant for us to reflect, just to think about what's been said and what we've heard and what the Holy Spirit has touched us with. The next song is designed to lift our eyes and get us on our feet and remember who it is we serve today Father today we give you these moments there's some perhaps that want to receive you as Lord but if that's you today would you just invite him in and say Lord come in and take my bad stuff and I'll take your good stuff and it's a great exchange thank you Jesus to others Father we've all heard what I've said several times now would you answer each prayer and touch each heart Would you do the work that only you can do in us and cause us not to drift through spiritual neglect? In Jesus' name, and everyone together said, amen.